Werner, welcome. How are you, man? Hi, Carlos. Uh, thank you. I'm very well. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming. And well, like always, like every guest that comes here, who are you? What is Ubs? <laughs> what was your project all about? By the way, beautiful <laughs> website. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let this let my colleagues know who who did this. Luckily, I didn't do the website. That wouldn't be so good. Uh, um, so who am I? I I studied economics in university and then for a long time I was a derivative structuring and sales guy in in a bank and then I worked in a fintech company and also at a consultancy and well finally I started Ubinetic with a couple of friends of mine and we we're the team that kickstarted the UVS platform on the Tezos blockchain. Juves, I, I always pronounce it Juves. So it, yeah, it's you, true. You Everyone pronounce it Juves. pronounces it Juves. Uh, maybe, maybe we should go with the flow and just also call it Juves. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Juves or Juves is a, a non-custodial platform for synthetic assets. So in a way similar to say MakerDAO or something like that. Uh, you can uh, lock in test collateral and then mint stable tokens mm-hmm. on the US dollar, or you can use these stable token dollars, the US dollars as we call them, and mint other tracker tokens. And soon we will also have an options feature and there's more to come, just uh, it'll take some time. I'm um, I'm very fascinated by when new ecosystems get born, such as like Tesos. Was it like that? Tesos has been around for quite a bit, but like the ecosystem is just sort of like blossoming, right? And so you get the you start getting the versions of what of the platforms that are already popular on say Ethereum, like Maker, which in your case you would be like the maker of Ethereum. But of course, then you start seeing these projects put their own spin into their into their projects that takes advantages of the chains that they're using and that takes advantages of the of just being different and having like a blank slate so what would you say are the main differences for people that would or outright go to okay this is maker dao for Tesos? that's a very good question I think, yeah, of course, every project will always have a certain a unique spin to it, unless you really do a clone. But mm-hmm. I think Which in our case, possible. yeah, but in our case, I mean, we, we, we really thought like, how does it need to be designed so that we can really achieve these goals? And we spend a lot of time uh, debating how it should be done. And then obviously, once we were hit by reality, we still had to do some fudges and but that's just how it goes. In terms of uh, differences, I mean, I'd say, unlike Maker, we're not trying to be a single product platform. I mean, Maker really has to die. And <clears throat> that's what they have. And they do that very well and very successfully. But for us, I think the goal was always to have a platform for synthetic assets where you can have basically something where we believe there is 
a product market fit where uh, users are actually interested in doing it, uh, this is then we can build it, ask the community whether they're keen on doing this, and then we do it. Mm -hmm. I think the the Tesla's blockchain also like brings um, a, a different crowd of people, right? you get people that are trying to take advantage of being able to move fast with not some well, with not with the costs of ethereum plus you have the quote unquote advantage of things having already happened over there and tried and tested and some failed and we got to see more or less what sticks so you get to build more comprehensive platforms just such as your own don't you yeah i think the it it obviously helps if you can look what others have created before and you can also get a bit of a sense of what actually works and what does not work quite so well but really i mean if, just from my own experience i can say that you really only know once you start before that you have these uh noble notions of like yeah if we do this it'll happen exactly like that and then it doesn't quite happen that way so of course you you, you can stand on the shoulders of giants but you still have to do plenty of uh trench work and just go through through the motions and try to 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 decide as you go well, it's a bit like you too, <laughs> honestly. Like you, you, you think it looks so easy because everyone has done eight thousand versions of it. Then you get to it, and it's like, oh shit! How I record in high? How do I record in high quality? How do how do I get this? The webcams are so expensive, and it's just like yeah, yeah. You never know until you've put in your time. I would say yeah. like after forty something episodes, this is finally starting to take shape. But it took a while. Yeah. And everything takes longer than you think. Whenever you think like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this in a week. And then in three weeks, you're going to do that. And then it's like, yeah, maybe you do the first thing in three weeks and then you'll take it from there. Right, exactly, man. Uh, but uh, the our own pitfalls aside, uh, what do you make of the Tesla's ecosystem these days? I think um, if you will, we zoom out a couple of months, um, NFTs really brought a lot of new attention into Tesos and the it has paid off in other areas as well. So I just wanted to give you like that open field to talk sure. about that. I I'd say the yeah the Tesos has certainly focused on NFTs quite a bit in the last months and I'd say it has really made a name for itself in that field even though I'm not particularly knowledgeable about NFTs but Clearly, it's a name that's now associated with NFTs. Uh, for us, being in the DeFi space, uh, yeah, I guess can say that Tezos is clearly nowhere near that level of recognition when it comes to DeFi. And of course, I'd like this to be different, but I can also see that this is not something you can just do overnight. And so there has been some criticisms that they should have been done more and i mean it's it's easy to say and it's always easy to complain when things are not the way you like like them to be i mean i think that 
from what I can tell, other chains are certainly doing more to, to push the DeFi ecosystem. And that has certain advantages. I mean, certainly there's more growth, there's more volume, more liquidity. But I also see the pitfalls of uh, creating an ecosystem that's built and reliant on subsidies, because eventually these subsidies will have to dry out. And, and you have to kind of find that fine line of where you, on the one hand, help the ecosystem grow, maybe grow faster than it would if you didn't help at all. But on the other hand, you really have to make sure that you're not creating this uh, growth of people who are just like entrenched subsidy takers. Because then if you only have people that want subsidies, then like you said, as soon as the subsidies run out, then yeah, the ecosystem dies out because people are not too used to building thing that are, things that attract it, their own capital, right? Yeah, I mean that's really the thing, and I, I'm not saying subsidies are bad, but I'm just saying as a, it, nothing comes for free in that sense. So mm-hmm. if if you have a foundation giving you grants and you you live of them in a way, the foundation is your customer, and you will optimize for that customer. And if your if your revenue stream is uh, venture funding, then in many ways the venture uh, capitalist is now the guy calling the shots. And if you were just to go a very traditional route of only doing uh, self-funded business whereby you have to have enough sales to to sustain your business, it's just a very different uh, way of operating. And the incentives are very different as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, I, I get that as well. Yeah, go ahead. Please. So yeah, of, of course, yeah, I, I would love if there was more uh, support uh, on the Tezos, uh, like from the Tezos Foundation for for these kinds of projects. But yeah, I can also see that this will not come for free. And I also see that eventually uh, the DeFi space will see more regulation. I mean, I'd be very surprised if not. So. And when that comes, then I guess most or all of these projects will have to slightly change their operating model in order not to run afoul with any regulators. Mm-hmm. And well, <clears throat> I'm going to take you a step back. Why would you? Why did you start building on Tesla's to begin with, or how was that journey to? Yeah, to start using the the Tesla's blockchain in general because I, I figure like whenever you're building something especially these days when cross-chain is the next big thing that everyone wants to do um you want to do something that's is evm compatible and therefore the the options are not as many and then there's always the pressure of okay let's just release on ethereum and then build cross-chain right yeah, I mean, I guess the, the choice of the blockchain, that was also something we discussed for quite a bit. The three of my co-founders had extensive experience with uh, 
with the Tezos blockchain and they thought the overall it was a good a good choice and so basically that's why we went with with mm -hmm. Tezos in the end and I think from a technical point of view it seems very compelling and I yeah, I think it was it, it was it's definitely not a bad choice uh, how we go from here I guess we'll need to see of course we, we need to be nimble and we need to see how things go I guess but if we if we didn't choose Tezos, we probably would have chosen one of those other newer chains because I think getting the kind of recognition that we get on uh, Ethereum would have been very difficult because Ethereum is really a crowded place. And it's, I mean, the projects are big, but then for some newbies like us and uh, the US project, you'd, yeah, you'd be in competition with MakerDAO and you'd now have mm -hmm. to convince people to use uh, the US platform rather than MakerDAO, which is a very different notion than trying to be the big fish in a small pond and being on this rather less developed uh, DeFi environment on the Tezos blockchain. But obviously these both have their pros and cons. Yeah, and, and I think the most people that want to that want to see a multi-chain world or a world where like multiple chains coexist together they, they're sort of betting on this vision right whereas if you ask the ethereum maximalist crowd of which i've been accused to form <laughs> to be a part of uh, <laughs> they, they would say yeah but something something network effects something it will only be one chain in the end what's your take on all that what do you think what do you think would make the difference that makes the world a multi-chain world? <clears throat> it's a good question. I mean, I think we will definitely eventually have bridges to other chains. I mean, that that's pretty much a given. Uh, we'll... Yeah, that's a given. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um. And before that, we'll probably also use wrap tokens as collateral, just so we can we can already with with less effort just kind of have a foot in that other world. Um, when it comes to like the networking effects, natural monopolies, and so on, I mean, I'm not sure the the natural monopoly works that way on on blockchain that you really will only see one chain especially if they're somewhat interlinked i mean i don't believe there's going to be hundreds of blockchains that are meaningful but i could easily imagine a world where there's i don't know a dozen chains or something like that or, or less not necessarily just one for smart contracts yeah a dozen, a dozen or so pretty doable, particularly now that we're seeing more layer ones somewhat achieving a level of success, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say Tesos has succeeded to the extent that it could, but you see AVAX, you see Solana, you see even Terra that just recently blew up like crazy. Yeah. Polkadot Polka is coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, of course... Uh... As I mentioned to you earlier, I mean, I'm not a developer, so I will not 
go too deep into the technical details, but uh, from what I've been told and from what I've been learning on my own reading is that technically the Tezos blockchain is very sound and not all of these other blockchains have the same advantage. Now, clearly this is not a purely technical race. There's a lot of other factors involved, but I believe that if your technical disadvantage is too big, this will eventually come back to bite you. Definitely. And like you say, it's many factors because you take, for example, Cardano. And Cardano's, you would say, biggest strength is their business development, <laughs> development team <laughs> because uh, they, must have, yeah, they, they must have some great people over there because you don't see it growing technically in the direct... <clears throat> at the speed or in the direction that people think it would. Nonetheless, like the price and the hype and everything else has followed. Well, what do you yes. think Tesla is lacking in that regard? I mean, for full disclosure, I have good friends at the Cardano Foundation, so I will not say anything <laughs> bad, hopefully. Uh, uh, no, I mean... she wants to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... I think Cardano, uh, I was a bit surprised as well, given just where they are with their technical development. Uh, from an outside, like a, as a, as a non-developer perspective, I would say, yeah, the, it'll take them some time to eventually be, to catch up technically with these other chains. And they probably will. Uh, I was surprised that they had this price boost so early on. But then you also see that clearly, I mean, this... This, these are not markets that trade on fundamentals because what are the fundamentals anyway? And mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at something like how much did Solana go up this year? Something like more than a hundred times. I think even closer to 300. Don't quote me on that. Or 250 I, I... times. Yeah, something like really high. And <clears throat> I mean, and all, I mean, all power to them. I mean, it's obviously great. Uh, of but yeah, I think either the price before was not quite right or afterwards it's not quite right i think it wasn't that in january people saw like oh yeah this the fundamentals are changing at such a rapid pace the price needs to go up so i mean clearly there was some kind of uh, tipping point some critical point where all of a sudden people were convinced that solana was worth more and then people bid up the price and I assume something similar happened with uh, Cardano and still crossing my fingers, this will eventually happen with Tezos as well. And it also helps, like the Cardano also has that factor of the small number, right? You see like, oh, it's only $1. <laughs> and it's only $1. Um, whereas with other coins, I would say Tesos is at an uncomfortable place right there. Uh, because like, you know that a big chunk, I would say 40% of retail investors do not uh, check the market caps and do all their math or everything. So mm -hmm. they would go with, the, oh, it's already $8 and it, no one is using it. It's like a bit too expensive. And they see Shiva at 0 0.000. And like, yep, that's, my, <laughs> that's my coin. Um, but, but yeah, seriously now. Uh, the, 
the closest thing that we have nowadays to to fundamentals is total value locked, right? That's mm -hmm. uh, I, I would say like the closest you have to like a valuation of a company. Yeah, but I mean, when you look at total value locked, it, 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 this may be worthwhile for something like uh, the US platform, but I mean, but less so for a, a, a level one like the Tezos blockchain, because obviously the higher the price, the higher the value locked. So, mm -hmm. and so this it becomes circular. And even for something like the US platform, a rising Tezos price will obviously already the, the, the previously locked tests will be worth more so you'll have a mm -hmm. higher do dollar figure there and likely it'll free up more more money and will maybe even create a certain buying spree and then people feel like okay but now i have these tests i want to put them to use and then they go to one of those uh, platforms where you can uh, create leverage or other things like uvis and then, yeah, if, if you, in any case, a higher price will create more buzz and more uh, like spending power. So that, that is also very true. And it, this can easily become a, like this virtuous cycle, much like a falling price become, it can become the vicious cycle. It, it, it is very true. And the, and you see it like, <clears throat> when the market has dips just like the one it had and you see the total value locked get crashed because of course ethereum drops 10 percent then all coins drop 40 percent then suddenly everything looks like it's on fire and and like the industry just got just got like two two-thirds of its previous size um in the DeFi space i'm very interested in just by constant contact with a borrowing lending protocol uh, with bonded mm -hmm. I've gone got a really interested in, in that space and I've I feel like I've learned a lot w what are you currently looking at in DeFi or, or what are, where are what are your targets for the future for your own projects as well I mean we will have more tokens that will track certain underlying values that's pretty mm -hmm. much a given. And as I mentioned, we will have uh, options, probably initially just option spreads, then maybe structured products and outright options as well. And then there we'll, we need to see how to best uh, create them so that, yeah, that with the limitations of a, a blockchain in terms of computation that you can still have a good user experience and people can actually trade what they what they want to trade why do you think you we don't see options more often in DeFi? that's not uh yeah that, that's not something that's too prevalent in any well-known project as, as far as i know i mean that there are few options projects on ethereum and other chains and i think it's uh it's quite fascinating but it's also it's in order, like if you, if you want to be in a purely decentralized world, you run into certain problems always. And it's not that they cannot be solved, but this, I guess it's much like the, what's it, the trilemma on the blockchain. Like mm -hmm. you run into similar issues where you can just basically, 
you can try to find a certain sweet spot because you're looking for the least bad of several options in different dimensions. I mean, first of all, like coming from a bank originally a long time ago, if you trade options, you would typically want to calculate these values at any given moment. You want to calculate all the Greeks, like the, the derivatives, the first, maybe the second derivatives and so on. You want to be very active in your risk management. You want to buy, sell and so on. And these are all things that on a blockchain, you probably don't want to do in that matter, in that manner. So you will then have to look at alternative ways to do it, potentially with liquidity pools or different kinds of uh, limitations to the payoffs or yeah, like any other solution. And the moment you want to trade really big size with really like unconstrained payoffs, then all these tricks will eventually become more and more difficult to pull off. So I'd say, there, yeah. yeah. There are now more solutions for, for liquidity, particularly on Ethereum, obviously. Uh, but like, what, what do you make of all of these, like Olympus DAO or token macro, these kind of solutions? And so sorry if I cut you up in the middle of something important there. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, Olympus style, I think it's an interesting idea. And quite frankly, I, I read through it on the weekend. I mean, I just browsed through the the docs and... It took me a while to understand it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like a proper and while. I thought me being a finance guy would be very easy. Well, it wasn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, now I feel less bad about myself. <laughs> having to read four hours and needing help with it. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fundamental problem Olympus DAO is, is trying to solve, I think, is, is a very valid one. Because when you look at how does DeFi work these days, where does the liquidity come from? And a lot of it is really is incentivized by some kind of tokens that get released of one project or another. And so not only do you get a share of the trade like the trading costs that you pay away to the dex as a user like if we talk about dexes uh but also you you get this token and pretty much any of these systems by pure design will have a certain amount of front loading just so you you create this early buzz and people are incentivized to be the early adopters and to come early and to a project that may not be that well established yet. And that's all fair and good. The, the problem is if you front load too much, then eventually you, you basically, you bought your start at the price of your long-term sustainability because eventually that's, I mean, the money doesn't come for free. Also, if you release a lot of tokens without any limitations, eventually these tokens need to find the value from somewhere. And if nobody wants them, then somebody's going to be the last fool who bought them. So I think it's very difficult to have a, a long-term sustainable DeFi space as long as people demand 20, 30, 70, 90% of, of yield 
to park their capital on a DEX. Mm -hmm. And maybe the solution is not so much this uh, classic constant product market making. Maybe we need to move to a system where that's closer to the classic limit order that you see on centralized exchanges. But then obviously you run into computational limitations again. But I think eventually the liquidity will have to be paid through the transaction fees on the DEX mm. because that's really the, the value that's generated. And if, if you distribute more than that, you, you're borrowing it from somewhere and either you pay it back to the future or wherever, or you're eventually going to run out of value to borrow. Well, and that's and that's somewhat what happens with Olympus DAO, since that was the example. Um, so some people point out that it's a bit Ponzi-ish, um, and and I, and I think that criticism has something to it because although it's decentralized, <clears throat> there is a greater fool thing, like you said, going on in that the token is completely inflationary, so that the value is always decreasing, and in a negative in a negative market, of course, that's gonna be even more problematic and then if you are not generating um, like you said if it's not fees that are paying off it is not the value itself of a, like you would in a typical product then you're just playing with money and hoping that the stream never ends right mm -hmm. and of course the i mean I'm fully aware that this is an emerging space that's not fully developed, so we shouldn't uh, try to to recreate uh, traditional finance at its very mature stage where it is now like but starting at square one. so we mm. we need to go through the steps to eventually create a mature decentralized finance environment. but I think we will just have to be like everyone needs to understand that very high yields will only ever be a temporary thing and if you see very high yields you also need to be aware that they may not realize for you i mean even if you see now mm -hmm. that okay like i have token xyz and it's worth i don't know say a dollar and I made so and so much money. If if I don't sell it right away, who knows where it is tomorrow? I, I know, and I would ever bring it forward and say that even if you have very high yields, that doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna make a profit. <laughs> and and that's a that's a mind blower for some people. But if you run the math, for example, at the rate of which these forks of Olympus DAO tend to depreciate. The profit is minuscule, or it's just like seventy percent. Mm. It's not like the crazy three thousand, four thousand, fifteen thousand percent that they that they promise. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If if you promise yields in the thousands of percent, it's it'll always sound a little problematic to me. <laughs> it will always be amazing. <laughs> 
Can you, that was Olympus, I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do your own research, no financial advice on all, all, all this. <laughs> and also, I don't reckon we're, that we're getting anyone too, too enthusiastic <laughs> with this. I mean, maybe if I can just mention like, like this, this, this problem of uh, incentivizing early adopters versus not basically selling your future by making it unsustainable was something that we, we thought about very hard for the US platform. And we had pretty strong, uh, intense discussion about this, where like, how much do we need to incentivize early adopters? And like, how much are we gonna lose later on through that? But yeah, and obviously who knows, we, we don't have to counterfactual, but in a way, we chose to have a governance token that has a certain uh, issuance rate per week. And this issuance rate halves every year. So that at the end of the first year, basically half will be out and then the next half and so on. And obviously that, that will converge to two times the total value of the first year. And eventually this will not be such a big contribution anymore unless that we really manage to get the price very high. And at the same time, if you have our governance token, the, the, the U token, like you as in you and me, mm -hmm. uh, you can put it into a staking pool and you can participate from the platform uh, profits, so both mm -hmm. uh, the minting fee and there's also an interest rate differential between the asset and liability side. Uh, once the options are there, the options are going to generate a certain minting fee as well. And so as long as the platform generates a steady stream of profits, then there will be some kind of fundamental value to these U tokens, if you believe that will go on or if it, it'll grow or whatever. And the fact that you, on the one hand you have this this income stream that uh, you can achieve, and on the one hand, on the other hand, that the total number is is limited, that for me at least gives it a chance to to be long term successful, to not be the kind of thing where uh, the moment you touch it, it's the hot potato you need to hand over before it drops. I, I think DeFi platforms have the best way to to add value to these governance tokens through mechanics such as this one, um, mm -hmm. because th then you can have the token accrue some value through the the actions that people take in the platform, and therefore it does become some sort of participation on the well, it, it is a participation in the ownership of it, obviously. Even mm -hmm. when they are fully decentralized, but also like a participation in profits. Um, what do you make about all of this thing where well, Vitalik very recently published a post about against coin voting? And there seems to be a trend now where people think coin voting equal bad. Yeah, but like, what do you make about like this, all these governance things? I mean, the way we are going, we are currently still on a, a multi-sig setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we already follow 
coin voting and then implemented in the multi-sig setup. But soon we're going to move to a purely coin voting system, so like a purely DAO model. And so, I mean, yeah, this this is where we we want to go. This is what we promised the the users, and yeah, that's what's going to come. So for us, it's clearly something that we believe is good. Um, I'd say the a more centralized uh, authority in that that's governing any kind of project will always come with both advantages and disadvantages. Of course, you can uh, you can act faster, you can change your mind anytime, you can do all these things very quickly and efficiently, but in terms of sensor resistance, obviously there's now a single point of failure, assuming there's just one person. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also from a regulatory point of view, if you if you remain on a say multi-sig setup forever, and these are all close buddies, then you may even question like, what, what is it? I mean, it's multi-sig in like in appearance, but really, if there's only one guy calling the shots, like, you may as well just go for a centralized thing. And the regulator may eventually look at it that that way as well. So I think there's even the problem of. I'll I'll let you finish that thought. I just want to add something. That there's even the problem of BC capital firms um, just uh, having too much input due to coin voting, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's another issue. But I mean, if they really accumulate a ton of uh, coins or tokens, then yes, that that can be an issue. But I think also what what we are trying to do is really get people invested in the long-term profit of the platform. So I think we may like we may succeed at this better or worse, but I think that is the way to go because if you manage much like with you know with Bitcoin, when people said, you know, there's these Chinese miners, they could do the 51% attack, but really, why would they? It's much more valuable for them to, to, to mine keep it exactly yeah. the way it is. Because the 51% attack would kill it. So that, that would not be a good thing. And I think in a similar sense, if you set up a project so that everyone can benefit from this kind of selfish altruism almost so that people see they will benefit from doing what's best for the project i think that's really the way to go i i, w- I would believe so as well and i i i think that's a definite advantage of DeFi over centralized finance that doesn't get talked about at all like <clears throat> That you get to participate in the ownership of the of the of the infrastructure for these things, and then you get to yeah. But if the systems are designed right, they get to accrue value through through the through through the usage of the platform through the true utility. That that's what is going to advance this industry forward more than 
more than other things that are that could be sexier or that get more promotion such as like we said like the 70% value yields the the huge uh, <laughs> yeah the, the huge promises in general um i i was curious uh, i i know I've asked you a lot about the Texas ecosystem but the, what else do you see that could uh, that Tesos could bring that is unique to this table Um, aside from yeah, being a bit of a blank slate for a lot of projects. I mean, you mean what Tezos could do for DeFi projects such as us, or in general, just to promote itself as a, a valuable no, the, blockchain? The first thing you said, yeah. I think for uh, DeFi projects like us, and again, in order not to just hand out subsidies, I think one of the biggest advantages would be uh, negotiations with centralized exchanges so that the Tezos blockchain would always almost ask, act as a union, you know, to do like uh, unionized mm -hmm. bargainings. Because what we realized was that talking to several of these uh, centralized exchanges was that the listing and market making is very expensive they're not that keen on getting any old little project from their perspective on board. I mean, yeah, they do. And they basically send you the catalog. It's like, this is the price. Have fun. And I think that's something where the Tesos Foundation could probably make a big difference if they could just say, look, uh, we, we buy the listing for... I don't know, a dozen or two dozen uh, tokens. And then we somehow make a deal with these different DeFi projects so that, that they can use this listing space. And in a similar fashion, uh, negotiate with market makers so that they can actually then provide the liquidity on these centralized exchanges. Because uh, I think that that, that is just project. very difficult for small projects like like uh, ours. Yeah, no, the, the, those are great points. I, I think um, on, underestimating the value of the found of the foundation would be a mistake uh, because they do can push their ecosystem into into the mainstream more than sometimes the projects that are bootstrapped and have a lot of other stuff to do can do for themselves um we have a very recently seen one of the first exploits on the on this chain on like the test of DeFi ecosystem so i just wanted to ask you what do you make of this of the what just happened with colibri yeah so the colibri exploit is, is, is very unfortunate i think uh From the way I understand, and I talk to my developer colleagues on this, is that basically somebody found a way to take advantage of the some of the automated features, automated trading features on Colibri, and then could basically front run this automated trading feature and thereby generate profits at the cost of a liquidity pool that's part of the Colibri platform. Okay. And by front running, I just mean that the, 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 this liquidity pool will help you to do uh, liquidations 
when uh, these ovens, as they're called there, are under collateralized, then the liquidity pool gets TESS and this automated system, this automation feature sells the TESS versus the K dollars to, to stand ready for the next liquidation. But if you can front run the system so that the, 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 the spot will always buy the K dollars too expensive, then the attacker basically benefits at the cost of the liquidity pool. And I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's very unfortunate that any, for anyone that had their money in there. And even though it's a competitor, it's obviously nothing that we wish on anyone to happen. And it's just something that we were always very careful about with these automations. I mean, it's, as I, I tend to say that, you know, if you, a wrong decision, you can shoot yourself in the foot. And with automation, you can shoot yourself in the foot with auto fire. I mean, these things can go terribly uh, wrong very quickly. So I think you should never have a kind of any kind of bot feature that that trades with a with a DEX or any kind of other market uh, participant or market uh, infrastructure where, where you don't really know where you are, or at least you need to set very clear conditions that you only trade until you move the price by such or something like that, because you don't know this, this can always go very wrong. Or if the liquidity dries up and now you start moving the price like crazy, like all these things, it's just something that you, you want to avoid at all costs. Uh, and, I, and I think you're very much right to say like, it doesn't matter if it happens to a competitor. It's always unfortunate because these things tend to ripple through the whole ecosystem, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and like last week, there was like two big sex uh, centralized exchanges. Um, <laughs> two, two big. <laughs> I was. I'm not gonna. I'm not going that way. Um, no abbreviation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no revision. <really> sure. <laughs> to centralized exchanges. This is why this industry doesn't progress. Uh, <laughs> th 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 there were two big hacks, one on Ascendex and the other one I'm blanking on right now. Uh, and you see that it hurts the, the ecosystem. It hurts people in the end of the day. It makes people more worried of these uh, of these systems, of, this, uh, of just being in crypto in general. Um, there are, of course, newcomers that are never going to come back after having these experiences. Mm. Um, you don't want these things to happen. And you also, at the same time, have to be somewhat gr grateful for these things because that's how we learn, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as, as unfortunate and as unpleasant as these episodes are, in a way, I think these are normally the, the events that really help the ecosystem to mature because that's how when somebody something really screws up uh people need to kind of get their shit together and see okay how how can we prevent this from happening again what happened on mount gox for example <laughs> twice at the japanese exchange <laughs> you can say that it did a lot of good work to to make people know how to run their exchanges professionally and how to bet 
the exchanges that they collaborate with. And well, a, a lot of Bitcoins got lost in the way, but that's just the price of, of having these things improve. Um, yeah. Uh, so we... on the, mm-hmm. just on this exploit, we're probably going to release a Medium post any minute now. So if you want, I can give you the link for if you put show notes in your YouTube clips. Yes, I'll definitely I'll definitely add the link for that. Thanks you, thank you. And I, I wanted to I wanted to say I have a really short list of projects on the Tesla's ecosystem here. Like I said, um, you're the first guest that I have that it's doing active work in that ecosystem. So I, I just wanted to to ask you for your impressions about them a little bit. I know that it's not too common to ask people about other projects, but I, yeah, I just wanted to, to take the chance also to talk about these projects a bit because people don't look into Tesla that, that often mm-hmm. um, within the mainstream crypto community. I know that Tesla's community is always looking at these things, but uh, just to give uh, them a chance to to hear about them. So starting with Hiketnunk, I think they have been like the a, a driver for a lot of value to to start looking on Tesos. Um, mm-hmm. And they've also done it in a great way, very artsy, very open source, very pretty in general. What, what do you make in general of them? I mean, Hiketnunk is more of an NFT uh project and it's yeah it's obviously been very successful i understand the founder left but i didn't really follow this so much and given it's a a decentralized project it's much less of an issue obviously yeah um but yeah i mean they they've done very well and i i think it's that that's definitely an interesting project to look at Especially also given the the strength relative of of the Tezos uh, blockchain when it comes to NFTs, mm-hmm. and and more in in your line because the, you're right. This is an NFT project more than a DeFi project. Although you say like a lot of NFT money eventually gets fueled into DeFi or tokens and in I general so. investment. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. Colibri. Uh, Colibri was there a little bit before us. I mean, I think it's a, at least compared to the stable token aspect of our business, it's or of our business of the platforms business model. Mm-hmm. It's it's a similar uh, project. Again, it's kind of something that resembles MakerDAO if you look from afar and. Yeah, I mean, we, we're in contact with them. And obviously, I think it, it's good to have competition on the blockchain because it makes sure you're not getting complacent and you you create this arms race of just creating better products. And sometimes you you, you win at the innovation speed and you, you overtake them and sometimes they overtake you and then you can copy that. So it's it's good either way. I think it's very interesting as well to see like all the bigger projects on on Tezos, all they all have their governance token and they're mm-hmm. a, they're aiming for eventual or full decentralization, um, as opposed to what you would see until a few years before from now, where you just uh, 
this wasn't really a thing. They, things or projects would say they were trying to be decentralized, but they really weren't. And and nowadays you see everyone also a bit for legal reasons, I would say, going for the decentralization. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also uh, to a certain extent, it's, I guess it comes with the DNA of the Tezos blockchain that, you know, things really aim to be decentralized. I mean, this also, when you look at certain other blockchains, they're just a lot less decentralized. You know, there's, there's clearly one uh, governing body that just calls the shots and that's that. And then I find it's, it's probably more natural to also work in this manner when you create your own project on that chain. And I also agree that, of course, regulatory-wise, uh, if you if you run a fully centralized setup, then in a in a, in many ways you're really just a, a fintech, and you, you will have you will have a lengthy discussion with a regulator eventually why you're not regulated as a fintech or why you mm -hmm. should be or should not be. In that regard, also the the, the Tesla blockchain sometimes gets uh, accused of being more centralized uh, because of delegated proof of stake. And the, the, you make a case for the contrary that it's uh, more inherent to it to be more decentralized. Well, why why do you think there's a, there's this debate? I mean, okay, the proof of stake it it depends with. And now, take it with a grain of salt, I'm reaching the limits of my knowledge. Yeah. But uh, if you lock in your test somewhere and you cannot choose the, the baker, yes, then you this project will have more deciding power on what gets done. And so mm -hmm. this is typically not a feature that is well looked upon. Uh, in general, I also understand it's easier in a project like ours to avoid than say in a decentralized exchange mm -hmm. where you have these pools and then how do you, the pool is clearly one pool. It's not different vaults, but I mean, otherwise, I really feel that in the Tesla blockchain, all these things, they go through the same channels. There's, there's always these updates. Things need to be passed through the votes. And there's not, there's not one governing body that just says, this is what happens. I mean, they may have a lot of influence, but it still needs to be ratified. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with that. And yeah, just of the list of projects that I have here, the, the last one, uh, SmartLink. Uh, SmartLink, I haven't looked at a lot yet. So well, SmartLink, let me just give people then uh, uh, an official, <laughs> an official <laughs> sentence on what SmartLink is. So SmartLink is a decentralized ecosystem that excels in security performance. Yeah, so it's, trust as a service um basically an oracle i think the ah, okay i i think it's very it's very interesting to see new ecosystems being born out in in chains that are not as popular or not as 
populated more like uh, such as Tesla's and as such I wanted to say like well congrats on all the good work man um, we're nearing the hour so if you want if there's something that you wanted to add that we haven't touched on or if there's something that you think uh, that you want to shield of course <laughs> please go ahead <laughs> yeah of course uh, so yeah have a look at the UVS platform it's at uves.com uh, y-o-u-v-e-s.com uh, there's a little quick start guide for everyone that's so far not on the Tezos blockchain yet you know how to set up the, the wallet how to uh, get the browser extension and all that stuff that's a bit tedious but once you have that you can get a few tests from the broker of your choice and then start minting and see how it goes. And we think it's a very exciting project. We really very happy with what we created. And yeah, I think this it's only going to get better from here. Cool. And I've, like the, the, the last thing I said on the website, <laughs> juves.com, it, uh, it does look a bit like a fashion catalog, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do get that a lot. I about this design choice. <laughs> so, you know, that there's, there's Juves, the DeFi platform, there's Juves, the fashion catalog. So the... <laughs> maybe we should split the two. <laughs> NFA, not fashion advice. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we we deliberately wanted it not to look like a pure trading platform. And it's, I mean, yeah, obviously, it's, did we go too far or not? I mean, it's an interesting no, point. It, but... it, it is very fresh. It is very fresh. I, I like that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm bored of looking at interfaces of DeFi projects. So that, 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 that's a very refreshing change. <laughs> I'm still a massive time, fan of the, what's it, the curve uh, Curve user interface with its retro look. I haven't gone to Curve in ages. Let me check out Curve. <laughs> now we're doing promotion for Curve. Um, oh, it, it is very retro. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it, it looks nice. Every and every this... UX designer I know hates it, but I think it's <laughs> it's a ballsy uh, move. <laughs> it, it, it is a ballsy move, and it looks very much like a, it, it looks a bit more like a video game, isn't it? Yeah, that's cool. I really like that. Man, well, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. This has been a very pleasant, pleasant chat. Sure. Thank you for having me and talk to you soon. And thanks to everyone listening. And we'll cut here. Go out and check user stuff. You're going to like the website. Bye-bye. <laughs>